Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. All righty. Open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of John, chapter 4. Barring the Lord speaking to me again this week about this, we will transition into next week uh, next week uh, to uh, a teaching along uh, other lines than this. So this is uh, my planned last teaching on Harvest Time Faith. And uh, remember that what we're trying to, to, to talk about is that Harvest Time Faith is seeing heaven's offer of a present time harvest. So in, in John chapter 4, if you can put that up for me, in John chapter 4, verse 35, I think, it says, um, do not say that there is yet, this is verse 35, everybody with me? Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Now we've talked about this for a long time, but, but I want you to understand that, that what God is trying to get us, what Jesus is trying to get us to see here is don't be, don't be uh, given the boundaries of natural understanding and let that be not the only way you know, that you understand things. He says, don't say there's just four months. Because what God wants us to do is He wants us to look up and see the harvest that He is also offering. So this is not to supersede necessary natural understanding, but rather as a complement to that. He's saying, listen, don't be, don't be bound to that understanding and that understanding alone, but rather, he says, uh, behold, I say to you, the middle of verse 35, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So we, we looked at this idea in our first uh, uh, session uh, in this part of this, the distraction center of this where we found that distractions are largely visual. We end up taking our eyes off of what God gives us and putting them onto a multiplicity of other options. So here's your your definition from, from Webster's. And again, for those of you who don't know this or this is your first time hearing me say this, I love Webster's 1828 dictionary. Noah Webster used scripture to give us common definitions in the English language. It's available online. I used to have a paper copy. Do you still have a paper copy of that dictionary? Do you know? You have it? Yeah, Tracy has the paper copy of, of that. And so it's, it's, not been, it's, it's not been influenced by our culture today, and there's no funny uh, uh, adjustments that have been made based on us trying to define words based on what's happening in our world. He used the, the scriptures to define that. So Webster says a distraction is confusion from a multiplicity of objects asking for attention. Confusion coming from a multiplicity of, of objects asking for attention. There's distractions. Those are largely visual. You can be distracted by that. And so we talked about that. And that's when it says in, in, or in uh, John chapter 4, it says, lift up your eyes and look. He's asking us to be undistracted by all the other things that we know are happening. You know, right now it's, it's here, it's, it's wintertime, you know, or almost wintertime. And, and most of the crops are gone. And, and, and of course, we've got a long time to wait before, before harvest comes. But he's asked us not to use those natural boundaries as the only way in which we see our world. He's asking us to look up, which means we get a visual understanding. So again, when we refuse to put our eyes on God's presentation from heaven, we are distracted by the multiplicity of natural options of sight. I understand 
that many of us are easily distracted by what we see. But God's asking us, I believe God is asking us to lift up our eyes and see the harvest that He is offering. He says the fields are already white to harvest. We talked last week about deception. Deception is generally word-related or, or, or related to words, not related to the Bible necessarily, but related to words. And Webster's defines it as to mislead the mind, to cause to believe what is false, or to disbelieve what is true. But the one I really like is to cut off from expectation. When you are deceived, you will not expect the results that biblical truth will give you. That you'll just say, well, that just can't possibly happen. And yes, it can happen. And so uh, uh, deception is normally verbal. Do not say. So here's your quote. When we refuse to believe God's presentation from heaven, we are deceived and remove ourselves from the expectation of the offer. If you can look up into heaven today and see the harvest that's being offered, the reason he's offering the harvest is because he intends to pour that out on the earth. And we just need to cooperate and get in the understanding that here's what God is doing right now. And that was deception. Our message for today is all about detour. Detours are generally about movement. This is the turning to the right or to the left. Again, the definition is that, that this takes a, 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 uh, a, a turning away from an established route. Turning away from an established route. So again, you've, you do that naturally where they force you to take a detour. We're trying to get you to see that spiritually. There are oftentimes simpler ways to do Christianity, but those ways are often seen by heaven as detours. Jesus, I'm not going to teach this, but Jesus went through this with the, with the enemy. If you, if you think about this, in John chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit shows up in the form of a dove. God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is in the picture. So all three of the Trinity are in the same story right there. Okay, that's John chapter 3. In John chapter 4, the first verse, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. He offered him through these things detours. The very thing that the devil was offering is what God said that the, the, the Savior would receive or, or lead us into. He would be the king of all of those, of all of those principalities. He would be the authority over all of, those, all of those powers. But the devil said, hey, take this little detour. You worship me and I'll give you all these things. Ahead of the, see, that's a detour. Largely movement-based. And so you're presented with a distraction that draws your eye away from what God calls you and you're presented with a deception where you're given words inside yourself that says, oh, this is the easy way. Right? In fact, God, when the children of Israel were leaving uh, Egyptian capt uh, the Egyptian captivity, the Bible says that, he, that God did not lead them the shortest or easiest route because He knew when they saw war they would return to Egypt. See, God sometimes doesn't take us the easiest route. Can you say amen? Sometimes it's not the easiest route. You say, but wouldn't it be easier if it was the easiest route? Yeah, certainly would. It would be easier if it was the easiest route. And yet what God does, in, in my opinion, in full knowing, is take us down roads that not only get us from point A to point B, but in the journey, He deals with areas of character 
that will carry us through the next thing that we don't even know is coming. See, so, uh, let, me, let me help you. It's, it's almost Thanksgiving. Does anybody know what the next holiday is after Thanksgiving? Christmas. Has any, now don't raise your hands and embarrass yourself, but has anybody ever overspent on Christmas? And you were still potentially paying for Christmas in February. Christmas is long over. What happened is you took a detour from the established route. Don't spend more than you have. Amen. You say, but I want my kids to love me. If they love you by your presence, when it breaks, they're going to hate you. Give them a box. They'll love that. I don't know how old you have to be to not like boxes. I love boxes. I love to put people in boxes. <laughs> Tape them shut. And say, aren't we having fun now? Yeah, so if you come to mine, we have a big enough box. I taught that to my children. One of my sons gave me a very specific, quite small gift. And he wrapped it in the biggest box that he could find with other boxes inside of it until I got down. And what he, what he had given me was this big. But it was in a box like this, and then a smaller box, and then a smaller box. And, and, and what happened was there was such an expectation because I kept looking for what the gift was. And when I found it, it brought tears to my eyes because my son had thought that through. That wasn't big. It was used. What he gave me was used. How many of you honestly really love a used gift? For my grandson's birthday, I hope, I hope they're watching. I'm giving him this Bible. It's used. It's used. But I'm giving it to him. See, sometimes there are detours in life where we take our eyes off of what God is offering. We believe things that shouldn't be true and we turn when we shouldn't be turning. Those are the detours. So let me show you this in 1 Kings chapter 18. Are you ready? 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to spend most all of our time in these first couple of chapters here around this, this area. So this passage is the, the passage that leads up to Elisha finding himself on Mount Horeb and God asking him questions, right? And it's that story that comes at the end where the wind and the earthquake and all that comes, but God speaks in a still small voice. So that's where we're going. I want to I want to play the the thing for you. So Elisha has had a prophecy that says there won't be rain except by my word, Elisha said, or Elijah said. And so in verse 18, it, chapter 1, chapter 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. And it came to pass from God to Elijah that in the third year, he said, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Now notice in this that the instruction that God gave him said, go and do these things. It gave him a pathway to walk on. A pathway to walk on. Now skip over, if you would, please, because 
in, in verse number 15, we're still in the story. And of course, Elijah has been, been, been uh, that Ahab has been trying to capture Elijah because he calls him a troubler of Israel. And, and Ahab is the king. And, and he's, he, 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 Elijah presents himself to Obadiah, another prophet of, of the day there. And, and he says, go tell the king that I'm going to come to him today. And, and Obadiah says, now wait a minute, you keep disappearing. And he'll kill me if you're not going to show up. So verse 15 says, And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present himself, present myself to him today. Now notice that he is following the path. He's on the prescribed route that God has told him to take. It's very important that you see this because in a little bit, he's going to take a detour. Look, if you would, down at verse 21. It says, And Elijah came to all the people. Now, there's a fight that's going to go on. I'm just trying to cut the story short, but there's a a fight that's going to go on between the the prophets of the bad folks, prophets of of Baal, and the the prophet, Elijah, of God. And so this is that story where where they build these altars and, and Elijah taunts the prophets and he says, maybe your God is sleeping. One, one, one version says, says something along the lines, maybe he had to go to the bathroom. Which I, I just find it just fascinating. But Elijah, they build that and they bring two bulls. They sacrifice the bulls. They put them on these, these, these stands. And supposedly they're supposed to call fire down from heaven. And of course, the, the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves and wail and wonder. And of course, Elijah's teasing them. And, and then Elijah does it. But look what he says in verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things according to your word. He's built this thing. He's poured water on it. He's built a trough around it. And he says, listen, I'm doing this because you told me to. Again, he's still on the designated path. Now, he kills 450 Evil prophets. Kills them with the sword. Doesn't let any of them live. That obviously or evidently was God's plan. We're not privy to that, but that's what he says here. And so then he's there with Ahab. Now, by the way, if you kill all the guys that are giving you advice, so Elijah killed all the guys that were giving Ahab advice, Ahab has a tendency to want to listen to the guy who did all the damage. That's in verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, it has not rained for three years. And Elijah says to Ahab, There is the sound. He doesn't say everybody can hear. He says he hears a sound of abundance of rain. I don't know what that exactly means, but Elijah, on his path, not taking a detour, and not seeing what God had fully said to him come to pass yet, he stays on that path and he says, Listen, there's a sound of abundance of rain. Then he goes, gets his servant, he goes up in verse 44, and it says it came to pass the seventh time. Seven times he sent his, his servant from a time of prayer. In fact, it says that, that Elijah sat with his head between his knees and prayed. And he sent his, his, his servant out, and he said, go and see if you can see the sign of rain. He's still hearing it. But he prays and asks seven times. And on the seventh time is in verse 44. It says, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. 
Go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chair and go down before the rain stops you. Now notice, he is so dependent upon the, the route that God has given him that he says to Ahab, you better not rain in three years. It's going to have to rain a lot to stop this guy's chariot. He says, go get down, eat now, get ready and go. And then he outruns the chariot down the hill. That's all the story that you've heard. In chapter 19, Ahab gets home. Now, Ahab and, and uh, Elijah were on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is, is in the northern kind of part of Israel, and it's a few miles off of the Mediterranean Sea. So basically there's a valley that leads down to the sea. That's where they were, and, and a town there called Jezreel. Now it's important that you know this, because in a minute I'm going to tell you how far Elijah ran from Ahab's wife, Jezebel. But let's see what Jezebel says. Verse number 1 of 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Now pay attention if you're a Bible underliner, you may want to underline this in your Bible. Then Jezebel sent messengers to Elijah. Now pay very close attention. So let the gods do to me. She puts herself up as a sacrifice if this doesn't happen. By the way, it doesn't happen and she is sacrificed down the road here just a little bit when the dogs eat her. This is not a good promise for her. It's a not a good day in her life. He says, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Now let's see if we understand this. Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and says, one day from now, if you're not dead, let the gods do it to me. One day. Are you ready? When he saw that, when he saw what? When he saw her threat, when he was distracted by the multitude of things you can look at. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Why did he run for his life? Because he was deceived. He believed something that was not true. He went to Beersheba. Anybody care to know how far that is? 100 miles. How far can you walk in a day? At two and a half miles an hour, it would take you 40 hours walking nonstop to go 100 miles. If you walked eight hours a day, like a job or whatever, it would take you five days. When was the threat given and how long did it last? One day. One day. If he walked straight through, game over. 40 hours. Even if he could run for that long. I mean, great, it's 100 miles. Do you see it? So he said, he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he left the northern kingdom and ran into Judah. The reason he left the northern kingdom is that Ahab and Jezebel are kings of the northern kingdom. So now he's going out from underneath her perceived authority. He runs to a different kingdom. Please get this. He's detoured to a different kingdom to get out from underneath the authority of the threat. You will run to a different kingdom to do the same thing. You will run to the kingdom of the world to get away from the threat of discomfort. 
Verse 4. Verse 3, he left his servant there. He left his servant 100 miles. I don't know why Elijah didn't have somebody smart aleck like me in his group. Going, um, hey, big guy, duh. It was a day ago or more that she said this. You're still alive. This thing's done. I, they said in a day, what's the deal? He was so distracted by what he saw so deceived by what he heard that he took a detour and watch this verse number four he himself himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die do you understand that the detour will always take you to a conclusion that is not healthy for you the detour always takes you to a conclusion that is not healthy for you now, I don't know why he sat underneath a broom tree and decided it was a good idea to die. If he wanted to die, why didn't he just stay in the court of, of Jezebel? She was threatening him. He said, it is enough. What does that mean? He'd had enough. How many of you have ever gotten to the place where what you're going through produces in you that attitude that says, I can't take this anymore? See, that's almost always based on the deception of what you hear and the distraction of what you're looking at. It'll cause you to take a detour. They will always end up hurting you, not helping you. Do you see it? See, when we take our eyes off of what God is offering from heaven, we miss the opportunity to do what He says He's going to do, to cooperate with what He says. We take a detour. We get right off the, the normal path that He has for us. Now look what happens. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then verse 5. Then he lay and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. Can you imagine running for your life, thinking that you might die, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere, and somebody wakes you up? Who do you think it is that's waking you up? The bad people have found you. See, you're living under such a detour of fear that even when something good comes about, when the I mean, I don't know that I've ever been touched by an angel. I just would think that'd be a good deal. I don't know. But I'll guarantee you he was in fear and woke up wondering who was touching him. And all the angel says is, arise and eat. Huh. Arise and eat. I think that's odd. I just think that's really odd. That God seems to be concerned with something so natural. Why didn't God tell him, arise and go back? This thing's done. You know, Jezebel's not going to hurt you. Why did he send the angel to say, arise and eat? I believe, this is me reading between the lines, that, uh, that God knew that Elijah was going to run another hundred miles or more, depending on which way he goes, from 100 to 200 miles. When this little part of the story's over, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai on the Sinai Peninsula. He goes back across the Red Sea. He leaves the promised land of God, goes back into the land of captivity to the mountain where the children of Israel were given the law. From 100 to 200 more miles he goes. I think God knows that that this man's trust is going to go back and essentially, here's what he's doing, are you ready? 
He's hoping to go back and start over. Now let me help you with your detours. How many ever got to a certain age in your life and wished you could go back and start some part of your life over? That's a detour. You never get to start over. Take what you've learned and start where you are. Don't run. Don't run. You say, but pastor, you don't understand. This is terrible. I understand that it's terrible. I've been through some terrible things. Running from them won't make them any less terrible. It will only remove you from the participation of what God is offering. Notice what he says. Are you ready? He came, looked number six. He looked in there his head and there was a cake baked and, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He already knows where he's going. Or it's a long journey. So he rose and ate and drank. Now look at this. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. He walked another 40 days. You think he's past the threat yet? You think the threat has lost its power inside of him yet? Because the answer to that is no. He's still under the threat of Jezebel. He's still being moved into the detour by what he saw, what he heard, and the path that he chose. Distractions, deceptions, and detours. They will take you away from the planned harvest that God has for you. Look what happened. Verse number 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. <laughs> I don't know why people go into caves. I'm kind of scared of caves. Like, I don't know what lives in there. But whatever it is, it'll kill you. Right? And so, so he's been sleeping out on the ground, but he goes to the mountain of God and goes into a cave. Right? He's like a two-year-old that think if you can't see him, he's, he's, he's really hiding. Right? You know, if they can't see you, they're really hiding. It's this, it's this crazy, immature thing. That's how I interpret it. I love this story because I can't believe... He's like 500 miles from where the threat was. He's easily 50 days departed from the threat. And he's still alive. And in fact, he's not only alive, but he's walked in the significant provision that God offered him for 40 days. I'm just telling you right now, that'd be good food. That'd be awesome. But all he can think about is himself. So here's the next thing. And I don't have these in points. I probably should have put them in points. When you take a detour, your, detail will all, your detour will always involve you in thinking about yourself more than you should. What's going to happen to me? I don't know. Look at verse number 9. He went into a cave, spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, are you ready? I love this. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let me help you with this. God is not unaware of what Elijah is doing. Elijah is unaware of what Elijah is doing. When you get these questions and God says, what are you doing here? He's not asking for the eloquence of your intelligence. Just be honest. I am hiding from that woman. She's been threatening me and I've gotten as far away from there as I can. And oh, by the way, thank you for the meal. 
<laughs> he didn't even say that. Look what he said. He's so captured by the deception, by the distraction, and by the detour, he says this to him. Verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Do you have to tell God when you're this way? Do you have to tell God that you're excited to the place of white hotness for who he is and what he does? Do you have to tell God that? Don't you think God notices that? This is a lie. This is the lie that Elijah told himself. I'm so zealous for God that I'm running to save God's plan because I'm the only one left. Do you see how the detour does that? He's so interested in himself. Can I point out to you that the detour will oftentimes just ramp up your concern for self? In any other place that you look, it's concern for others, it's concern for God. But in this case, this detour, it just ramps that up. Notice he didn't answer the question. What are you doing here? He said, I've been very, very zealous for the, host, for the children of Israel, forsaken your confident. Did you know that when you take a detour spiritually, you almost always have somebody else to blame? People will leave churches on their detour and blame the church they left. People will pray and not receive what they think they need from God and blame God. These detours are really bad. They're bad for you. They'll lead you in the wrong direction to get the wrong things at a time when you need exactly the opposite. Children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Here's another point of your, of your detour. It'll almost always make you think you're the only one going through this. You'll always be alone. You'll always be isolated from any sort of sharing that says, man, I've been where you've been. Who is Elijah going to talk to to tell him, wait a minute, there's a whole bunch of people who go through the exact same thing every day. See, when we take a detour, we end up removing ourselves from the commonality of Christian life. We're just out there choosing our own little path. Notice what else he says. They seek to take my life. They're going to kill me. Again, just common sense and doing the math might tell you that her threat didn't work. We are days and days after this and miles and miles away, and he's still worried. Verse 11. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks. And then there was an earthquake. And then it was a fire. In the tail end of verse number 12, it says, there was a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. The mantle was representative, and if you think forward in the story, when he was taken up into heaven, Elisha saw it, and the first thing Elisha went for was his mantle. It represented the covering, the anointing of God. He wrapped himself in the representation of the anointing of God when this happened. He real, I believe he realized at that moment when you read this story, and Elijah never argues with God about what's about to happen. He said, let me just, I'll read it to you rather than just tell it. Notice what he said. He said, the Lord said to him, verse 15, 
Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. By the way, Damascus is in Syria. He's clear over in, in the, on the Sinai Peninsula in, in, in southern uh, Egypt. So it's up the peninsula, across the river, up clear through Israel into the next country, Syria, Damascus. It's like 500 miles. You ever realize that when you took a detour and you're 500 miles off path, you might should have thought about it sooner than 500 miles later? I mean, wait, I'm like 500 miles off track? Is that what he's trying to show us? Verse uh, 15, go and return the way of most of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. He sends him... <laughs> When you know God is at work is when he tells you to anoint a king over an, an a enemy nation who God's going to use in a way that you can't see. I just, this is just fascinating to me. So he anoints the king of Syria, so the king of Syria will become a pawn in the hand of a God who's going to use that to bless Israel. Also, you shall appoint Jehu, the son of Nimeshi, the king over Israel, the northern kingdom. Oh, guess what? Ahab and Jezebel no longer get to be in the, in the throne room. Could he have not gotten this anywhere other than 500 miles off course? Don't raise your hand, but how many have ever been off course a long ways? Like, Tracy and I were in Florida once and we wanted to see manatees. And so there's places on, on the web where you can go where they'll, they'll put little uh, pins in where, where you can drive and people will have them like in their little coves and alcoves, you know, and that kind of stuff. And they'll drop pins in there so you can drive up there. Well, we drove into this, this house, this mansion house where people were, were <laughs> doing landscaping and remodeling this house. This thing took us so far off course. There were no manatees there. There were groundskeepers and people building a mansion. We were a long ways from water. It was a significant, unfounded direction that we went to. Pay attention when you have those times. God will teach you some stuff. He said, anoint Jehu, king, good, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, whatever, you should anoint his prophet in your place. Now why didn't he argue over all these changes? Why didn't he recognize, wait a minute, this guy gets my job. Do you know how long it took for Elijah to disappear after Elijah became his servant? It's in the Bible. Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Here's my point. This didn't happen tomorrow. His mistake took time to develop and time to unwind. And Elisha trained Elijah, trained Elisha to the place that the first thing that Elisha did after Elijah disappeared in the whirlwind was to wrap himself in the mantle. Come on. What did Elijah do when he finally heard God's voice? He wrapped himself in the mantle. Elijah taught Elisha how to depend on the anointing of God and it took 10 years. I just find it fascinating. I really thought you'd gasp about that. Oh, never thought that out. Amen. Do you see it? 
when you take a detour, it's almost always connected to what you see and what you hear. You'll take a turn. You don't, you don't just take a detour without thinking it through. It's almost always attached to what you see and what you hear. See, when you hear or when you see God's plan to pour out on the earth, you have an option to choose. What am I going to prepare myself for? I want you to choose to prepare yourself for the harvest that God is pouring out. He's getting ready to pour out a harvest, in my opinion, such that that we've not seen before. He's asking us to prepare for that. And what's going to happen is there are going to be a great number of people probably who say to us or show us how that's not possible. See, that's when the detour comes in. It's not possible, so don't even try. People of God, I challenge you in your life today to begin to try to believe what God says He's going to pour out and to stay away from the distractions, stay away from the deception, and for all means, stay off of the detours. They will not lead you to the right place. Amen? Stand with me, would you please? Come on, music team. I'm going to stop there. See, the Bible tells us pretty much throughout there are opportunities for us to hear these words. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That's what we're talking about here. Hear God's plan, see God's plan, and stay off of the detour. Stay on the prescribed route. That will protect you as you begin to cooperate with the harvest that God is offering. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you today. Lord, I just ask you to help us to process. Show us, Father, where, where we've paid attention to the distractions and the deceptions and the detours in our own life. Where we've actually experienced in similar ways to what Elijah experienced. We felt sorry for ourselves. We were the only one going through these things. We thought it was unusual that God wasn't paying attention to us. And when He spoke, it awakened us to our place. Help us, Lord God, that we can always be aware of Your outpouring of harvest so that we will not be distracted, deceived, or take the detours. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.